Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. Our show is one of philosophy and transpersonal psychology, of depth and seeking and wonder. I do not typically comment on current events and topical issues as I want the show to feel timeless and relevant to any moment. So in regards to the violence and human rights atrocities happening right now in Tennessee, I will just say that I am heartbroken. I wish I had some semblance of a clue of what to do or how to help, but right now I'm just grieving. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that we have to allow room for our grief to breathe and erupt. Then and only then can we make way for comfort and wise action. I'm holding on tight to the ones I love. I'm hoping and aspiring to bring more love and tolerance into the world in any and every moment I am breathing. I am calling on all of us to address our hurts, to ask for help. I love you and I'm glad you're here. Not one of us can survive without some genuine care. I admire you for being curious and wanting to learn more about yourself. I see you. You matter. Here's a quote by Robin Wall Kimmerer that always helps me hold on to the 10,000 joys and sorrows of being human. Quote, even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world holds us, giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair. Not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily, and I must return the gift. Unquote. I am so, so honored and excited to have gotten the opportunity to have a conversation with today's guest, Maisha Battle, certified clinical sexologist and sex and dating coach, who just wrote a fantastic book called This is Supposed to be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between. I admire Maisha so much because the core of her work is encouraging each of us to love ourselves just a little bit better, which will impact the way we love and care for those around us, no matter the type of relationship or encounter. This mission of hers ripples out steadfastly into a broken world, and it is so, so needed. I also wanted to share a bit of news. 
I'm planning to make room for more interactive events and community building for those who want to engage with our content in a more interactive learning style. I am thrilled to announce my first pop-up dream circle, which will be held virtually on April 24th from 7 to 8 p.m. Central Time. For this first circle, I'm envisioning leading a short group meditation to help us drop in and be present, followed by some group free time to work in our dream journals. I will share my favorite dream journaling practices and invite my guests to do the same. And then closing the circle with a Q&A where you can bring me all your questions for how to deepen your understanding of your dreams and work more closely and regularly with your subconscious. It's going to be so fun. I hope to see you all there and to continue building this gorgeous community of deep divers. Okay, let's get into the interview, y'all, because it's a juicy one. Please enjoy my conversation with the fabulous Maisha Battle. All right, Maisha Battle, welcome to Psyche Magic. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here, Jordan. So excited to chat with you. We're going to have way too much fun today. I can already feel it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I can already tell. Just by chatting <laughs> off uh, off mic just now, I'm like, yeah, no, this is going to be great. Yeah. Okay. So listeners, if you don't already know Maisha Battle, you're in for a treat. I have been a huge fan of Maisha's work for years now. She has a podcast that really made an impact on me. So I'm excited to introduce her to my show. Maisha, please give the listeners just a little heads up about who you are and what you do. Just a little introduction to get us started. Happily. So my name is Maisha Battle. I am a sex and dating coach based in San Francisco, California. I am a clinical sexologist, which just means that I work directly with clients to help them navigate sex and dating issues. So yeah, I have a private practice and I'm an author of This Is Supposed to Be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between. And I have a couple podcasts that I've done and maybe some things in the works, TBD. But my first podcast was Down for Whatever. And um, I also did two seasons of a podcast with the lovely Nkechi Njaka, who's a meditation instructor. And we talked about interracial dating on our podcast called Dating White. So yeah, check those out. Amazing. Please check those out. I am a huge fan. Also, Maisha's book, we're going to get into it, but it's so good, y'all. This is the book that I think a lot of us are going to wish that we had a long time ago when we were navigating these murky waters of sex and dating. So yeah, I'm excited to get into it. That's exactly the book I wanted to write. Congratulations, Maisha. Like what a big Thank deal. You. The book that we needed. Yeah. For my young self. Yeah. <laughs> For my young self, bless her. She needed this. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And so much more, but. <laughs> <laughs> and so much more. But, you know, it's cool. Um, okay, so, Maisha, 
let's get into it. Let's do our tarot moment because that's how we're going to kick it off, right? Like I've got so much I want to say to you, but we need to like set the tone, okay? Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. a little we need a little focus. So I'm going to shuffle the deck and I'm going to just invite a little just guidance um, for the mm-hmm. conversation and just giving us a little bit of direction on what might be helpful for listeners. We'll get into this more, but in your book, you really center kind of core values um, when it comes to just any any important life endeavor, including but not limited to who you partner with. Mm-hmm. So maybe this can be a little guidance about like values for this conversation. I think that might be cool. I love that. Let me see. By the way, are you like a tarot person? Do you like tarot? Yeah, I have this like weird feeling that you're going to pull the card that I pulled last night, which would be really funny. There's just too many serendipitous oh things God. already. So let's see. Let's see. Okay, let's see. This Honestly, the thing I love about this show is I feel like we tend to create a lot of serendipity, synchronicity. So, mm-hmm. hey, we'll see. Um, okay, here's the card that came up. Four of Cups. Not that one, but... Okay, so it's not the card you pulled last night. That's all right. No, but Cops is perfect for this convo. Really quick, though, what card did you pull last night? Because I'm just curious. I pulled the Three of Swords, which I never pull. Ooh. Yeah. I actually have that tattoo. You do? I have the Three of Swords tattooed on my body, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, shit. So what? there's a synchronicity for you, Maisha. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> M motherfucking G. <laughs> I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Holy shit. Whoa. Yeah. Well, so I Dude. have the mother piece deck. I, no, I'm crying because I'm just like, Whoa. Nice. I um, love that deck. I've never pulled that card. Like in the entire time that I, 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 I was like so unfamiliar with it that I like, you know, I like look through their book um, for the description and it's always so like dense with like mythology and everything. So I was like, I kind of get a grasp of this card, but not really. And so then I Google, like I ask my Google home, I'm like, what's the meaning? So sometimes I do that. And it was like not related to it at all. Like they're the Wikipedia for the three of swords seems like it's just not on point, but yeah. So that's crazy. I might need to go edit that later. Yeah. We should talk (laughs) about it. Okay. Because if it is significant enough for you to put on your body, I need to know more. (laughs) You know what? I'll give you a little more of that story, okay? Because, yeah, that is a synchronicity right there. Whoa. I'm obsessed. Okay. So Tara wants us to talk about the Four of Cups. So let's talk about the Four of Cups, right? So I'll describe this for the listeners just quickly so they can get the vibe. So we've got someone seated under a tree. He's in this sort of meditative pose. He's got his legs crossed. He's got his arms crossed and eyes closed. And then there are three cups in front of him on the kind of grassy hill where he's seated. This is such a common image in the classic Smithwaite deck, which is what I use for the show. There's a cloud with a hand outstretched and it's handing this person a fourth cup. Okay, so that's kind of the vibe of the card. But I love to do just a quick take. So without any sort of classic tarot knowledge, Maisha, when you look at this card, what comes up for you? Like what stands out? What do you notice? What do you feel? Oh, just contentment. You know, I've got everything I need, but then this magical cloud is delivering me extra, like it's giving me some like icing on my cake, basically sweetening my pot. Yeah, there's a sense, uh, well, I mean, contentment is just such a perfect word, but there's also this sense, I would say, of um, 
there's like a simplicity about this card as well, maybe. If this person is a meditator, then ostensibly they're practiced in this art of sort of letting things come and letting things flow without grasping too tightly and becoming too attached, right? The cups in in tarot are, as you pointed out, are an appropriate suit for this conversation because they're all about the emotional world. And they're about the subconscious because every time that we have a dream, we are being presented with some emotional material that's important to us, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, like what an appropriate card. And I would say the only other thing that I would add right now, we'll see as we talk, like there may be some more that comes up. But right now, I think a really interesting thing to point out, too, is that like this person is also okay with like saying, oh, maybe not right now. Right. Like Mm -hmm. like there's an opportunity being presented and I can also be free to say no or maybe or maybe later. Right. Like this feels like it's a card about boundaries too, to me. So what do you think, Maisha? Anything else you want to add? Yeah. If there's contentment, I feel like there is also an opportunity for more choice. You know, it's not coming from a place of scarcity where like anything that comes along is just like what you need to satiate yourself. But it's like, oh, well, if something comes along that fits my mood right now, I'll consider it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I am centering my own needs, comfort, preferences, right, above any other ideas, whether they're ideas that other people are putting on me, whether they're assumptions, whether they're old stories, like, I'm really present to what I need and want right now. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Great card. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Great card. Yeah, we will, you know, keep him next to us and see if he's got other little messages for us as we chat. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you about my three of swords. Yeah, I, okay. I was like, I'm still tripping so, on the three of cups or the three of swords. So, like, hold yeah. on. Tell me. Tell me about this. Okay. So the three of swords has always been one of my favorite images in tarot. Like, it's just such a powerful image. So for listeners who don't know it and who can't see it, um, it's this heart. And it almost looks like one of those, like, Valentine's Day, like, paper cutout, like, hearts. Like, it's like a very cartoony heart. And then it has these three swords sort of piercing through the back of it. So it's just this very striking image, even just, like, artistically. And on the actual Smith Waite card... It has a kind of stormy scene behind it. So there's like a Mm. rain cloud and like rain falling down. So the reason I have this tattooed on my body is that for me, this card represents the way that heartbreak can actually transmute into something very powerful and I would say even essential in the psyche. So like the ways that for me, the worst case scenario have happened to me in my life, going through the grief of those moments and then coming out on the other side have left me in a place where I feel exponentially more powerful, like after having Mm. gone through experiences like that. So to me, it's just a reminder of like, yeah, I sometimes the worst case scenario does happen and sometimes I have to move through that. And then I find myself in a new and very empowered place as a result. 
not to deny that there's grief and difficulty in between. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Right. <laughs> but it's the way that that can turn into something that ends up feeling so powerful. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's a striking image, um, you know, so thank you for sharing with me your tattoo because it's it yeah. does. I was looking over to see if I still have it. Sometimes I put a card out that and last night I just was like, this isn't resonating with me. I don't know why I pulled this card. So I tucked it away in the deck. But but sometimes I leave them out. Um, and But I do recall that this one in the Mother Peace deck, there are three women yeah. and they're sort of like falling. But each of them has like a sword through them, I want to say, or maybe they're holding okay. them. So there was like this notion, as I recall it, I mean, reading before bed last night at like 1230 a.m. So I don't know. But it was this sense of like, um, you know, swords are our are, are mental space, yes. right? They kind of more represent this this cerebralness thought. thought. Yeah. And the three images with swords, the three ladies were like almost like facets of self yeah. that were at odds or struggling where, you know, one of them, and I think actually maybe only one of them had a sword through them, but maybe the other two were carrying mm. swords. So it was always almost the sense of like, one must die for the others to thrive sense. Ooh, dang. Or like, there's a part of us that's in such conflict that it just doesn't, it doesn't make it through, right? So yeah. that does kind of resonate with what you were saying too, about every hardship that we go through there are pieces of us that don't make it to the next round of our lives. Like they don't serve us anymore. Mm -hmm. So that tension that sometimes, you know, is a result or results in a trauma or a heartbreak or some kind of grief, like pieces of us start to fall away and we have to like find new pieces or generate newness, you know? So yeah, I love that. There's a term that I wish I could find in my ADHD brain right now, but it's something about, it's like an alchemical term about exactly that, like the, you know, sort of old or outdated parts that need to be burned away, like, Mm. so that I can move into my next phase, right? Like, I cannot Mm -hmm. carry all of this with me. There has to be some letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love it. Good old yeah. tarot. <laughs> so rich. So rich. Knew we were going to meet today. I know, right? Yeah. She's just on the lookout. And I love it. The reason that I incorporate it into the show is that it just feels like another way to work with the subconscious besides like actually being asleep and dreaming because I get to relate to these images and I get to see them as these kind of alive metaphors that can hold lots of different meaning. Yeah. And that's how I like to read dreams too. So do you mind if I ask you like what your practice with tarot is generally? Like, do you have, you know, for me, I like pull a card before bed or, you know, and it's like not every, it's Mm -hmm. not, I'm consistent and then I'm inconsistent and, you know, but what is your relationship to it, using it in your life? Absolutely. So I uh, started a practice in 2020. (laughs) 
<laughs> where I was just waking up in the morning and pulling one card every mm. day. And I really was doing that because I was very interested in tarot and I was interested in learning about like the sort of historical meanings of the cards. I use meanings very loosely, but mm -hmm. just um, kind of learning it as almost like a language. So I started pulling one card every day and just studying that card. But then over time, what happened was that started becoming my main way of sort of communicating with spirit, the universe, like asking for guidance and then like pulling a card and feeling like I was getting something that was resonating. But it really took me a while to get to that point. Like at first I was just studying it with kind of my logical mind. And then mm -hmm. after a while I was really relating to it emotionally and even spiritually. So now it's a practice that I like can't live without. Like I have to keep pulling a card. And like every time that I'm really struggling with something, I use that as like a way of sort of communicating. So I use it with clients too. Like if we're kind of like wrestling with something and we're, we're using a lot of logic and thought and we feel like we're not getting anywhere, pulling a card can kind of open up the conversation, open up some other more kind of emotional avenues. So totally. Yeah. I use it a lot. I am, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Yeah, same. And again, like I'm yeah. consistent and then inconsistent with it. But yeah, it's something that I do find pretty grounding or, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of helps to relieve a little bit of anxiety sometimes. Yeah, me too. I know. Like even just the little funny experience that we had of like seeing <laughs> that the card you pulled is the card that is really meaningful to me. Like there's something about those little synchronicities that just helps me feel more connected and sort of like, I don't know, just at peace, like looked after. It's just, it can be powerful. So love it. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Let's talk about the dream that you presented, Maisha, because it's such a fun one. And I really think that it's the kind of thing that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. So, um, you know, you go ahead and start off with just as much or as little info that you want to share, <laughs> but just give us the little theme of, of the dream that you brought. Yeah. So <laughs> you reached out specifically asking about sex dreams because yeah, I'm a yes. sexologist. I, you know, sometimes yes. hear my clients sex dreams. Um, I, I love talking about dreams with my therapist. She has a background nice. in gestalt therapy. And so there's a lot of like love. talking to yourselves and yeah, like, yeah, how are you communicating? Talking so talking to like your, your parts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, one of my parts is my dreams. So unfortunately I did not have this therapist when I had this dream. This is from a long time ago, but it really struck me, um, and disturbed me, quite frankly, because it was a sex dream about my boss. Mm. And I honestly do not have many details other than like, I loved it. Like it was like I in the dream, I was like so into it, which was the most disturbing part. Yeah. <laughs> when I woke up, I was like, oh, no, like not this person. And why? And why? oh my gosh, yeah. I have to see them in like two hours, you know? And of course I did see them at work and it was fucking weird. It was, it was disturbing to have that 
lingering in my mind and and body, honestly. And then to see the person who I had had this, you know, um, sexual experience in quotes with who didn't know I was having a sexual experience with them. So, yeah, that was that was trippy. And I, I do talk to people about about their sex dreams with people who seem like very unlikely or, you know, not even a possibility. So it, it's going to be fun to kind of break this down because I, I definitely have my thoughts. Absolutely. Um, well, and I will say that this is a very common dream. So there's something about like, I don't know if I was going to break down the categories, there's one category of just like sex dream about someone. I do not want to be having a sex dream about in general, right? Like where it's like, that is not what I want consciously. Right. So it's confusing. It's like, what? And honestly, I think some of this is just leftover kind of Freudian legacy stuff where we all panic and we think like, well, does this mean that on some level I do want that? Like, and then that's just sends you on a whole rabbit trail. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's like the broader category. And then I would say, I think the actual sex dream about a boss is actually a very common one as well. Mm. This is a dream that I've experienced in my life. This is a dream I've heard clients talk about. And so you touched on this, Maisha, when you presented this dream, but I would love to hear your take on, you know, if we were to open this up and look at this dream from a more symbolic perspective, how you might relate to sort of boss as symbol and how that might open up the interpretation a little bit. Yes. Um, so there's there's kind of like a couple different ways that I have un- like come to understand sex in dreams. And, you know, the first is sort of what I talk to my therapist about and she constantly reminds me. It's like, yes, every like you might have a lot of d- different characters in your dreams, but they're all you. They're all some, yeah. you know, side to yourself. So. Yeah. The the situation at my job at the time was that I was sort of becoming more confident in my role and learning things and maybe like stepping into new responsibilities. Absolutely. So there, there was this part of me that was exemplified by like a boss. And, you know, the other part of interpretation, I guess, of dreams is, you know, looking at that relationship or you know, the symbolism of coming together in this intimate way of the sex act. So it's like, it's not the act, it's the, the feeling or the, um, the meaning behind like merging, you know? So me and my boss self kind of like culminating. And of course I would love that, you know, like, and that's something that my therapist also reminds me. She's like, how did you feel like during the dream and how did you feel when you woke up, you know? And there's obviously like stuff to unpack there. Like it's very disturbing to like dream about your boss. But when you think of like, oh no, this was like not my boss, not really him. It was me and represented some turning point that I had in my professional career that I was like romancing myself, which 
I'm I'm in favor of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, which yeah. I am here for that. Right? Yeah. There's there's an opening that happens when you can think about these figures as being representative, right? And for the way that your therapist reads dreams, it's these are you know sort of subjective characters, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, a boss representing sort of tuning into merging with your own uh, sense of really like power and agency. Mm-hmm. Like that is what a boss is, is this like figure of power and a certain level of sort of wielding that power in a very prominent way. Right. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. I would say that I've noticed that those kinds of dreams pop up when I am maybe needing to step into my power in like a a bigger way. And Mm. these dreams are almost kind of like a beckoning of that, right? And you made such a good point, Maisha, because you were saying that the feeling, like the actual emotional quality of the dream is really your biggest clue a lot of the Mm. time as to like what's important and what's worth paying attention to here. So for you, it was about like, wow, the enjoyment of like stepping into or merging with this part of me and how good that feels, right? Like how Mm -hmm. much I really need that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really Yeah, I I think there's definitely a tendency, I mean, even in myself to see the act of sex, even in a dream, you know, as something negative or that needs to be Mm. unpacked. But it's like, I don't know, how many times do we like have a dream about like, I was on a swing set and oh my gosh, I haven't been on a swing set in forever. Like, I'm just going to Google dreams about swing sets, you know? But like, I think we understand those to be symbols. But when it comes to like a sex act, it's really hard for us to to separate like, oh, I that that there might not be, you know, a desire there that it is just a symbol totally. that it's a human act that you know gets tossed around in our subconscious the way that anything would get tossed around yes that like the subconscious regards that as just another very neutral symbol right right whereas the conscious mind regards it with all of our layers of shame and stigma yeah mm-hmm. oh that makes mm-hmm. so much sense yeah so that's why maybe the conscious is like it doesn't have to be such a big deal <laughs> Right, right. But then we wake up and we're like, "Ah." (laughs) what does this say about me? Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, this ties into work that I've done with clients too, around, you know, let's say that there are intrusive thoughts, right. Of like a sexual nature. Mm. And oftentimes what we'll end up discussing is, wow, like that thought actually has nothing to do with my personal values and who I am, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's right. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. I don't have to attach myself. Oh, four of cups. I don't have to attach mm. myself to it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't right. have to say yeah. something about me. I know, I know me, I know my values. Yeah, and this ties into yeah. fantasy as well. Because I work with clients who are very disturbed. Yes, should take us there, please. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I've had clients who are very disturbed by people who pop up in their fantasies that, you know, they feel guilty or shameful or even acts that they fantasize about that 
don't align with their values. And again, their thoughts, you know, hopefully no one is having their thoughts policed, you know, and I hope that 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 future does not come to pass. But, you know, we do not claim that. No, (laughs) no. Yeah. But they are symbolic of a good one would be like, you know, someone who fantasizes about their doctor. Totally. You know, and I've had clients tell me like, I just cannot stop fantasizing about my doctor. And when we dig deeper, it's like that doctor is giving them finally, maybe, you know, after years of trying to find the right physician, a level of care that they have never experienced in their life before. And eroticism and affection and all of that stuff can get tangled up, you know, and it doesn't make us bad for wanting to fantasize about that person in a sexual way. It can make for some awkward doctor's visits for sure, but like they don't know that you're fantasizing about them. And, (laughs) you know, it's just- don't know. Exactly. And it's just, it's good to give yourself permission to- pause. And when you have that moment of freak out, think like what might be underneath the eroticism. So the eroticism and the sex act, that's That's the like thing that people get their, you know, hackles up around one layer, but it is only one layer. Right. And there's usually something beneath that, that you can actually get to, which is core to who you are. Like, oh, I, Mm. I feel safe now. I feel taken care of. I feel like I can I'm, my world is opened up because I'm getting this care, you know, finally. So all that stuff is powerful. And our brains oh want us to pay attention. Absolutely. Yes. Because so much of the way that sex is treated in our society is a classic example of what we would call like a shadow element in the psyche Mm. where Mm -hmm. it's been compartmentalized, it's been cut off, it's been relegated, right? And so it's cast out, cast aside, and then that's where it can start to fester and sort of take on a life of its own and we can feel like we're not in control all of a sudden because Mm -hmm. we're not actively integrating and uh, listening to our it's messages around like what we need and what we desire. I mean, fantasy is play, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. it is a form of play. And we've all been doing that since we were kids. It's an important part of how we process the world. Yeah. It's pleasure seeking. And we all are, whether we want to claim it or not, because I think some people get like icked out by this, this term, but like we're all sensual people. We use our senses to yeah. enjoy the world and ourselves. And so when you kind of distill it down to we're pleasure seekers from birth, even in utero, you know, um, and we we continue to be pleasure seekers. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Something that you said about sex being relegated to the shadow, it kind of made me think about, because I think about this all the time. People think of their sex lives as like other, you know, as as opposed to being an integrated part of their being or their wellness. It's like separate. 
Yeah. It's completely separate. And, and for some reason, people think that they need a different set of tools to manage it. When in fact, like life prepares us with lots of tools to manage um, ourselves and our health and our, our well-being. Maybe we need a few resources to give us the confidence to do so, but you know we can usually apply some of the things that we do in our day-to-day lives to our sex lives. But it feels weird, right, to do that. And it made me think about Scorpio so because Scorpio is linked to being like the sex sign. Yeah. And I think so much of what we understand about Scorpio is that it doesn't care about the darkness. It like wants to go in the darkness and excavate and like make sense of it. And that's why it is sexual. I'm getting excited. (laughs) You know, it's like, this is the first time. I love what you're saying. Yeah, it's the first time that this has kind of like clicked for me because yeah, this is so true. Like most of us do not like what's in the shadows. You know, we don't like things that have happened to us that are scary, that, you know, we don't want to process, we don't want to touch. And the only sign that I know of that like revels in the shadow and loves it. And I mean, if you see the, if you see a scorpion, it burrows into holes and it's like, it thrives in darkness. And like, um, yeah, that makes total sense to me that, that with that dark material, it can be productive. Absolutely. Wait, are you a Scorpio? You know what's funny is I have Scorpio in my house of career. <laughs> so, yeah, I like, Ooh. yeah, it gets me going. Is that the 10th house? I can't remember. I feel like it's like fifth or sixth. I need to look at my, oh, my app to tell you for sure. My head. You're going to laugh because I'm a Scorpio like everything. Like I have like Scorpio rising, Scorpio moon. Like I, I'm so much Scorpio. <laughs> What's your son? <laughs> my son is Pisces. Ooh, okay. My moon is in Pisces. And I'm not sure. Here we go. Here we go. Let's see. So where's Scorpio in my chart? It is... Okay, it's in my sixth house, how and where you create abundance. It's also in my... Jupiter and my Mars are in Scorpio. Oh my God, love. So... The Mars and Scorpio is how and where you take action. Oh, yeah. Mars is a big one. Plug for the Chani app. We love the Chani app. So yes. good. We I love, love it. I have like a little ritual where I listen to the the week um, in advance on Sundays when it's out and like take a bath and like think about what's coming. And yeah, I love this. I love this. I know it's such a great tool. I mean, this is a podcast where we talk about astrology all the time, but I had never made that connection about Scorpio either as much of like, this really is like the only sign that really thrives in the darkness. And I'm like, yeah, here I am with a podcast about the unconscious. Like, hi, I am a (laughs) freaking Scorpio to the max. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just so great. I love it so it lo- much. Yeah, Scorpio oh loves what's hidden. You know, it's like the stuff that's hidden, it's yes. like curious about. what What is that? I want to see mm-hmm. that. Where can I, like, and it doesn't need its own light source. It just is, you know, naturally gravitates towards that darkness. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to like look at it. You know, it's cool. It's good stuff. Yes. 
Well, and it's just so nice because it can normalize that, right? For those for whom that does not come naturally and that that feels scary and off limits, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Carl Jung talked so much about how an unintegrated shadow is often the the most dangerous thing, Mm. right? The more Mm -hmm. that I ignore it and refuse to look at it, the more sort of powerful it can become, right? But if I am actively allowing myself to witness my shadow and work with it, then I really am letting it be a part of me. And that's all it wants to be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It just wants to be included. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's it doesn't have to be a friend. It can be an acquaintance, you know. Like it can be right. just somebody That's else right. at the party. Exactly. You know, doing its own thing. I love it. Other sex dreams that you like anything that you've sort of like worked with that's been like an interesting theme, anything else that you want to share on that front? Just curious. Yeah, I mean, uh I don't know if we want to go into this because it's it's some Scorpio stuff too. <laughs> but I mean, it's also it's also uh, you know Freud and you know I think sometimes people will have dream sex dreams that feel or are in content incestuous yes. with a family member, which can be very disturbing. Yeah, we want to go here trust- for sure. Yeah, yes. a trusted elder um, or a neighbor or a friend where it feels boundary crossing and illicit and might even feel that way in the dream. So, you know, it, which is different from having an experience with an authority figure, you know, where that is representative of, you know, so many things that you actually enjoy, you know, in the dream. But qualitatively, I think sometimes- there are dreams that pop up that disturb us greatly because they include people that are yeah. loved ones, trusted folks that, again, it exactly. feels like a boundary crossing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's hard to to navigate those. It is. And it's another example of letting my sort of fear and often, let's call it what it is, shame, get in the way of my being able to be curious about Mm -hmm. what's going on in these moments, right? Mm -hmm. One thing that we also know about our bodies and our systems is that we are going through different body-based sort of sexual and arousal responses throughout the night, particularly during during REM sleep, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. oftentimes, even if my body is responding to something that has like a sexual theme, that doesn't mean that, again, emotional or values-wise that I have any tie to that, right? Right. So again... I would say that if we are having these dreams and they are not aligning with our values, look at the emotional quality of what's happening in the dream and extrapolate that emotional quality to how you might be relating to this person in real life, Mm, right? mm -hmm. If we can, again, if we can regard sex as a more neutral metaphor, right? If we can let Freud's voice in our ears saying it's all wish fulfillment, calm down, if we can dismiss that limited 
perspective, then we can regard these dreams with a lot more just openness, right? Mm -hmm. Curiosity. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought this up because people have these dreams often and they really feel like it means there's something wrong with them and that just could not be further from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you were to think of it in terms of um, an aspect of yourself too, you know, then thinking about less the specific person and thinking more about like, okay, that was a mother figure. That was a father figure. Like if you can detach from your brain only has limited information. It can't like produce a TV dad for you. It's just going to like produce your dad. You know what I mean? It's going to work with your own kind of psychic figures, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think understanding like that Mm -hmm. symbolism as well, or being like, what is the paternal side of me that I'm uncomfortable with? You know, I mean, yeah, what's going on for me currently that might be stirring up these feelings of tension and, you know, resistance to merging with that symbolic father figure or whatever, whatever figure it is. Yes. I'm so glad that you're bringing it back to this idea because we need to regard not only the dream characters and figures metaphorically, but also the act of sex metaphorically, okay? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I will read you this. I'm reading this really cool book. It's called The Dream Game by Anne Farday. And she was this fabulous dream researcher from like the 70s from the UK. And she was just like such a badass. But she was talking talking about this in her book. And let me just find her quote. She's funny because she's really big on like dreams using sort of puns or like playing around with like Mm. words and like turns Mm -hmm. of phrase, which which I think is really fun. So Mm -hmm. she was saying that oftentimes sex in dreams is a metaphor for being worked up by something, right? Being intimately involved with something, being Mm -hmm. frustrated with something or being intruded upon by something. Hi, boundaries, family, intruded upon. Yeah. Yeah. 100. (laughs) Most of us can relate to that, right? So if you have a sex dream about an auntie around Thanksgiving that you have issues with, then you know that it's just... Come on now. Yeah, it's just that you feel intruded upon by this Come person and you're dreading having 100%. to see their face. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. So yeah, like you were saying earlier, if we can just drop the stigma for a second and just look at this symbol a little more neutrally, then I think we'll be able to get somewhere meaningful. Like I really mm-hmm. I really do. So I'm so glad you brought that up, Maisha. Like yeah, it's sensitive, but it's yeah. really common and it's worth talking about. Scorpio yeah, shit. It's a tough one. Here we yeah. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Scorpio led us down this path. You know what? Just burrowed us right right down into <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> so, Maisha, I would love it if because I want to talk about your book and sort of your current offerings and where you are in your career, but I also would love it if you could just give us a little background as to how you became a sexologist and what drew you into this work. So maybe we start there and then we move into more of the present day, if that feels all right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this started, this interest in sex started for me 
way younger than I think people might expect. And part of that might be because I have Scorpio in my chart, but um, I, I, I kind of had, have had to refine this story because, you know, I usually talk about the fact that in middle school, I was trained as a peer counselor and that role was really to sort of triage issues that my peers were having. Um, maybe they didn't want to go to our yeah. guidance counselor right away. They wanted to talk to someone their own age. And we got trained in things yeah. like, you know, oh, you know, my parents suck and like all this stuff is happening to me then in my body and I don't know what to do. That kind of stuff. But that's not what people wanted to talk to me about. They wanted to talk to me about, you know, this person wants to make out with me. Like, should I do it? Does that make me a slut? Like, um, this person has already, like, experienced certain sexual things. And if I don't do them, are they not going to like me? Like, all of these things were happening at the middle school age. And, you know, yes. people had no resources for it. So Zero. This, Zero. And and probably continue to still have zero resources, which is why, unfortunately, zero. I'll always be in business <laughs> because adults who don't have Absolutely. proper education don't have the confidence as adults to navigate these things. Um, so mm -hmm. that's usually where I've started the conversation. I've refined that recently because I realized that part of the reason that I even, you know, that I became a peer counselor, that, you know, I felt like I could be helpful is that I'm such a knowledge seeker. And, you know, yeah. fortunately was like in gifted and talented programs, you know, starting in yeah. elementary school into middle school. And the line that I was sold was, if you're interested in something, you should be able to seek out as much knowledge about that thing as you can and be really good at whatever you're interested in. This is what I learned. This is what I was indoctrinated in. And then I got sex ed. Sure. So I was like, wait, you said, you told me <laughs> that anything that I wanted <laughs> to, wait look, a minute. to look at more closely, I could. But here I am. This is my first time in middle school. I get a whole class, and granted, it was like probably, you know, a few classes of science delegated to this topic in the spring, you know, right. spring. Um, spring. But there was a panel of concerned mothers who took our new textbook and they all sat down together and took Sharpies to this book. So it was, it mm -hmm. was explicit censorship of the knowledge that we were supposed to be given. And I think wow. that really just pissed me off. <laughs> and so th Good. maybe the fire in me to talk about these things was lit way back then when I felt the Good. injustice of what was denied me in terms of understanding my own health, my own well-being, my own freaking anatomy yes. you know like body and again this is a disservice like I think of it maybe more passionately than most people because I I didn't have like 
I had a pretty secular upbringing, but those who, you know, grew up having religious doctrines dictate, you know, certain things about dating or sex or those things, you know, you get that narrative. And so if you get to health class and you don't learn that much, it kind of makes sense. You're just like, oh yeah, sure. Sex is a thing that happens between two married people who are in love. Well, you know, that's it. And yeah, go for it. Otherwise, it's (laughs) off limits, right? It's off limits. It's shadow, right? Like, we don't talk about it. We don't look at it. We don't even think about it. Yeah. Right, right. And for my clients who grew up with that messaging, because it started so young for them and because that seed just grows over time, it's very difficult, even under the conditions, you know, in which you learned it was okay to be sexual, you can still have problems because- you haven't talked about it. And you do. <laughs> yeah. You haven't talked about it. You don't have the skill you have no set. Practice. You have no practice. Nothing. And then you're just expected to perform. And that's a terrible word to ascribe to sexuality mm. that I think of as something that's far oh, more but that's interesting. The word. And, exactly. Yeah. It it just there is a there is something performative to to sex that can happen in the absence of information. That's my feeling. Absolutely. 100%. If we all knew more. I just wish I could expand time right now. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I have so much I want to say. We oh. can do another one. We can do another one. This is such a joy. <laughs> Good. I'm enjoying myself too. I'm glad you are too. I taught sex ed for two years at a private girls middle and high school. And it wow. was a journey. <laughs> I'm sure. A lot of concerned parents. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about things like, oh, I don't know, pleasure. And, Mm. (laughs) oh, I don't know, consent. (laughs) Yeah. And, oh, I don't know, different times, different types of sex besides just hetero, uh, man and woman, right? Like intercourse. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of concerned parents. (laughs) It was a lot. Yeah. And I th- I think this is such robbery for, for young folks who are so curious, don't know where to turn, believe that sex ed might be the way that they get the information that they're supposed to get. And then in absence of that, when they're like, oh, wait, that was it? Like, that's not what I see on TV. And that's not what exactly. I see in porn. Like, I guess maybe porn is the way that I have to get more information because there's just so much of that. Makes right? sense. It makes sense. And at the same time, you know, we're not teaching porn literacy either. So that would be on my mm. list of things to include in comprehensive sex education so that people see that oh as my God, 100%. sexual entertainment. You know, it is sexual entertainment. Yes. It is perfectly fine to indulge in sexual entertainment. People have been doing it yeah. since the dawn of time where they could draw dicks on walls. Right. I'm telling you. But. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. We All day, every day. Can't, yeah. And we can't rely on that for our sex education. And we're doing a education. really big disservice yeah. to people. Again, I see the results That's of right. that in my practice every day. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, where people are not taught to tune in to their own bodies and their own needs and their own preferences, right? Like no practice with these things so often. Yeah. 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 No. Okay. So with that, Maisha, tell us about your amazing book 
okay? Because this is just, this is such a resource. Like, it's so rich. It's so beautiful. I love (laughs) the way that it's designed, the way that it's set up. I love everything about it. Um, So please just talk to us about just kind of like how this book came to be and like what what was sort of your mission like for this? Like what's this all about? Well, this also has like a story that's been refined over time, but I think the long and short of it is that I <laughs> I uh, had been doing Q&As on Instagram and a recurring theme that was popping up was how can I be a more intentional dater? You know, I think people, especially, you know, during the pandemic and during the summer of reckoning, of racial reckoning that we went through in 2020, people were yes. kind of taking a step back from the ways that they used to think about relating generally. And then dating came, you know, under that same umbrella. So I was thinking, sure. okay, well, you know, I was offering this podcast, Dating White, to talk more about like interracial dynamics and things that. I myself had experienced and my co-host had experienced. And then we expanded that to other people and their experiences. But I also had worked on, you know, how to become more intentional with my clients, you know. So I I had these years of experience of walking people through okay, your whole dating life is a hot mess. You know, you're not meeting people that you're interested in. The people that, you know, you're interested in aren't interested in you. And maybe there's this like horrible and frustrating cycle of going on first date after first date, maybe making it to date three, but nothing Mm. really materializing. And then just a lot of judgment, a lot of self-judgment, a lot of, you know, it's, it's hard out there. And I, and I know this from experience, I've met several partners on the apps. And so, you know, part of this is the book is me and my journey. Part of it is me working with clients to help them get through the dumpster fire that is app-based dating. And I wanted to give the book a really strong framework for helping people see that the apps are tools, you know, they're not they don't run yeah. you, you know, uh, we do get run by no, our apps a they're lot. They're not a measure of your worth. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I think that we have specific relationships to different apps for sure. Dating apps in particular are just inspire so much. I don't even know what, I mean, like so many words popped into my head. I mean, there's an ambivalence there of like, feeling obligated to be there because so many other people are there, but then this desire for real connection, you know, I mean, so many people ask me like, how do you meet people in real life? And I, I find that Mm. to be such a depressing question because it points to something larger about our society that we've gotten so disconnected and you can't go to a bar without, your apps being open, even to talk to the person sitting next to you, you know? No. So it's not normalized uh, anymore. Exactly. So, you know, part of it is coming to the table with real and practical ways that people can utilize the apps to get what they want. And then part of it is just to like support people along their journey and say like, you are not the only one 
who hates this. But oh, everyone needs this. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. It, it, there are ways to support yourself. And that includes, you know, self-care. It includes self-inquiry. It includes, you know, being kinder to the people that we date and fuck, you know, like all of these things yes. are important to making the experience better for everyone. So my hope is that, right. you know, everyone reads the book, right? But in absence of everyone reading the book, I hope that the people that do are able to transform their dating experience in such a way that the people who date them are like, damn, oh, I can do things differently. I don't have to just ghost someone. I can send that text, you know, I can send that email and I can get on the phone or I can meet that person in person and say, listen, this isn't working for me. Yeah. So, it, it's it, yes. it really was this yes. way <laughs> to sort of I'm like I'm um, so like amped up I'm just like Maisha you are doing such important work like relationships are meant to be the you know sort of fertile ground for our emotional growth right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be this purely sort of self-serving thing like we have to learn how to be good to ourselves and each other and this is how mm-hmm. we learn like and it's well, messy and it's like not cute a lot of the time. No, but we no. owe that to ourselves and each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, as the book says, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun, lest we forget. Okay, I want to highlight a couple things. So yeah. I poured through this book. Like, I'm not in a place in my life where I am actively dating at the moment, but I was enraptured and I really loved this section about sexual values. Okay. So as a therapist, I cannot help myself. I am always using values-based language with clients because I think Mm -hmm. it is such a great compass for us to all be returning back to, right? Mm -hmm. What are my values? How do I know? How am I centering my values and living in a way that allows them to be on the forefront, right? right? So you list this beautiful alphabetical, very satisfying list of values. <laughs> and Virgo. it has things like adventure, authenticity, boldness, creativity, equality, friendship, fun, humility, humor, kindness, kink, right? Like we're all over the map here and we've got lots of options, but Mm -hmm. you encourage readers to really just pick their top seven values that -hmm. become this kind of like true North in terms of dating and sex, right? Like I'm coming back to those values over and over again in every decision that I make. I'm giving Mm -hmm. myself that gift. So I I don't know if there's more you want to say about that, but I just love that. Well, it does come back to my earlier statement that, you know, people do see their sex lives as other, but I think tying it into values is really helpful. Even if you don't like thinking of them as sexual values, you might think of them as relationship values, generally speaking. And even that, I think people don't give much thought to, you know, like what are the relationship values that support me being who I am and relating better to the people in my life. And when you center those, then it's also easier to talk about misalignments. And that's really what they, the values give people is the language that's necessary for those sticky conversations where you're like, I'm not feeling 
adventure in this relationship. I feel same, same. I feel stale, right? And those are hard things to talk to someone about. But when you name them for yourself, you're better able to address them when you have these feelings that are like, something's wrong here. I don't know what, but like, I want to run, right? (laughs) Instead of run, communicate. I don't necessarily know why. I just feel it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's so like, that is such a you know, self-compassion process of like, wow, these things that are my values, these needs really matter. And I have to Mm -hmm. treat them like they do. Like I have to take them seriously. hundred percent. The book is so inclusive because it's, it's really, while we are using this sort of umbrella term of like sexuality, right? We're really talking about this sort of full emotional spectrum of human relationship, like including yeah. but not limited to sexuality and romanticism, right? This applies across the board. It really mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we love it. It's beautiful. Thank um, you. I want to read this other, I just, I have to read this, Maisha, which is Please. for one second. This is just so beautiful. So I love this statement. We live in a time when many folks believe that most things in life can be optimized. For instance, if they drink a certain number of glasses of water a day, feed the body the right nutrients and move regularly, they will function optimally. And that may work for a while for some people until it doesn't. Because health is so much more than doing things optimally. It requires a holistic approach that examines everything, including one's environment, family history, community support, individual risk factors, and unique immunity. Likewise, a relationship's health is not determined by the number of times you have sex or fight. And the goal isn't to always do things perfectly or prevent anything bad from ever happening. Holistically speaking, relationship health is measured by what happens when the people involved relate to one another over time and how that dynamic feels to each person. Boom! (laughs) Mic drop! Thanks. Like I amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've worked with so many people who limit themselves to criteria of, you know, is this relationship working? Things that are very, very limiting to evaluate that a relationship. And it's like, yeah, some relationships don't work after a while. Yeah. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Right. Yeah. Is this what someone said is the right way to do this? Right. Right. How does it feel to you? How does it feel to your partner? You get to choose what works for you and for how long. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Maisha, I adore you. You are so lovely. Thank you so much for wanting to be on my Small But Mighty show. Like, I really, you're awesome. Thank you. When you mentioned dreams, you had me. You had me. I was like, yeah. You're one of us. You're one of us, Maisha. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay, please, we'll end it here. Just tell listeners where they can find you, follow you, work with you. Just please give us the rundown. Yeah, you can find everything you need to know at MaishaBattle.com. If you want to find me on social, I am on Instagram and Twitter at MaishaBattle. Boom. Awesome. Um, And I'll link to all of that, of course, in the show notes. But yeah, this is supposed to be fun. Y'all remember that. Go grab a copy because it is fabulous. Yes. Thank you. Thank you again. My pleasure. 
that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Maisha Battle. You are such a delight. Thank you for drawing us back to ourselves and to the beauty and pleasure of being human. May your essential work and your beautiful book continue to bear fruit for many moons to come. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, fun minisodes, and so much more. You can find that at patreon.com backslash psyche magic. The link is in show notes. Don't forget, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free shadow work tarot session with yours truly. Even if all you can muster is a quick rating wherever you get your podcasts, we greatly appreciate it. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok, my favorite, at psyche underscore magic. Also check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. The link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced, written, and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Masuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby, Michael McMillan, and Grace Fuse. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.